continual work of the Holy Spirit. I thank God for the solid preaching from this pulpit and his grace that I'm here. I went through elementary school a quiet, polite, and friendly girl. I did not grow up in a Christian home. They live in avoidance to everything that has to do with God. I thought he existed, but knew nothing of who he is or his involvement in the lives of his people. When I entered sixth grade, I desired popularity and to grow out of the cocoon I felt I was wearing in my younger years. I was displaced from my familiar friend group as I began middle school and in entered Amanda Eves. I was rudely trying to reserve desks in class for my friends, and when that failed, I found myself sitting next to this young girl who grew up in the church, loved Jesus, and was kind enough to let me sit next to her. A friendship grew, and she invited me to youth camp that summer before seventh grade. I'm from Oregon, and we did a lot of camping. Yet I'm still amazed that my mom, who wouldn't let me walk three blocks from school to my grandmother's house the year prior, allowed me to go uh, camping for a week with total strangers. <laughs> maybe there was a willingness to trust the, trust the church or my friend, or maybe she needed a break from my adolescent ways. But it was God, by his goodwill and pleasure, that I was at the camp that boldly shared the gospel. Everything was new to be new to me. I couldn't navigate a Bible. I grew up singing the pop songs and was learning worship songs that praise God, along with a slew of silly camp songs, which I'll sing for you now. Just kidding. Nobody would want that. <laughs> there were camp flags, amazing camp games, quiet time, cabin devotionals, discussions. They used all of it to point to why we were there, to learn about God and know him. After several days and sermons, questions answered, God worked in my heart to desire him. I had thought I was safe. My understanding of hell was that it was an awful holding place for history's worst criminals. Others considered me polite and sweet. Hell, I thought, would reject me. I had no idea of who God was. He is creator. He created the earth and everything in it and around it for his glory. He has authority over his creation. He is the potter. We are the clay. He breathed life into us, and we are made in his image. In the beginning of creation, everything was perfect with God and his first people, Adam and Eve. It was short-lived. Before Eve bore a child, she and Adam disobeyed God, causing a permanent and tragic shift in every way. They did not heed God's instruction, eating the forbidden fruit God commanded them not to, warning them it would lead to death. Doubting God and believing him a liar, they gave in to worldly passions and ate, committing the first sin and bringing spiritual death, spiritual death to every generation thereafter. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin separates man from God. God is holy, which means he is set apart from sin. He is perfect, and so is his heaven where he lives, where he reigns. Sin cannot exist in heaven. The original sin changed the nature of everyone born from Adam and Eve. That includes you and me. We were born opposed to God and choose to sin against him every day. Romans 3, verses 11 through 12 says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I am not good. I do not deserve to be with God in his home, and I was against him without even knowing it. Isaiah 64, 6 teaches that even my best deeds are nothing but filthy rags to the Lord. There is nothing that I can do to earn salvation or a right standing with God. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All but one. God was not surprised by mankind, and he had a plan in place before creation. Romans 6.23 says that the payment for sin is death, but God gave us Jesus Christ as his son as a free gift so that we can be right with God and have eternal life. God takes sin very seriously, and it must be paid for. God loves us so much that he sent his only son, his beloved son, to redeem us. You cannot make more Jesus. 
He is full, and he gave him to us on the cross to pay for our sin. Jesus was humbled. He came to earth in the form of a baby, leaving the glory of heaven temporarily. He was born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. He lived the perfect life that I could not. He died the death on the cross that I deserved. He took the wrath of God as far greater than the physical death. He took all of God's wrath that I deserved upon himself, that he would, re- he would replace that with his righteousness. And then he rose again three days later and now reigns in heaven. God gives the Christian faith to believe this truth. I want to read for you Romans 5, verses 8 through 11. While we were still weak, oh, sorry, that's a little bit earlier. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. I went back home after church camp, ready to call out sin and having little grace. I suddenly caused much strife in my home, and I was not allowed to go to church for two years, and during that time, I hungered for that fellowship with other believers. God was kind to give me a tight group of friends at school who tried to pursue him together. My faith was strong, but my knowledge was little. Finally, out of the blue, my aunt offered me offered to drive me to a church out in the country until I learned to drive independently at age 16. I remembered rejoicing when I could go to church and was together with them as often as I was allowed to be. By God's grace, I went to Bible College in Oregon and met my best friend who connected me with my amazing Caleb, who brought me to North Baptist Church, where most of my spiritual maturity grew. And then that planted RGF. My life is solely lived by his grace and for his glory. Thank you. Uh, okay. So um, I was raised in a Catholic house. Um, um, my mom brought me up. I had my communion. I made my confirmation. But I pretty much wasn't like I was just living in sin. I had no, I had no heart for the Lord. Um, nobody had ever shared the gospel with me. Um, when James and I met, um, we came together and we were living in sin. Um, so at one point James said to me a very basic understanding of the gospel. He just, um, he he said, I want to see you in heaven with me. And I said, Oh, I'll be there. I'm a good person. And he's like, that's not how that works. He's like, you need a savior, which that's basically, it was like a very basic understanding of it. So I said, that sounds way too easy. And my mother-in-law had given me a Bible for Christmas, Um, So I opened it up and I started reading it. And um, I think at that point, God started to speak to me through his word. I had a proper understanding that I was a sinner in need of a savior and was in understanding that I needed to repent of my sin and turn toward Christ. Um, So through the reading of the word of God, God was able to reveal the gospel to me. And I had a proper understanding. we started attending church, and I started to get discipled by my pastor, and by um, God started surrounding me with Christian friends. My boss was a Christian, so I started to get discipled by my boss, which was interesting. And um, I just started to love the things of God and started to see and to put off the things that were sinful. You know, I started to actually put on, you know, the, the, you know, the godly things and just put off. So... I don't know. That's pretty much it. Um. 
I'm not good. It's good? Okay. Thank you. Okay. That was actually really good. So now I have to kind of go with that. But, uh, yeah, so, so pretty much I was brought up in a Christian home. So unlike Lisa, my parents were saved, both born again, um, solid Christians, grew up going to church. Um, what happened is, like, probably around seven years old, I professed faith in Christ. Um, I got baptized, right? But then I just continued to live a life that really had no evidence of fruit for God at all. Like, I, I wasn't sacrificially living to Christ. I wasn't obeying Christ's commands. I wasn't reading my Bible. I didn't want to go to church. My parents forced me to go to church for the most part. Um, I remember at one point, uh, my mom got sick. She had, she had cancer. This was, like, when I was maybe about 12. She was diagnosed with, like, stage 4 cancer. And I would constantly make, like, packs with God in my mind, even though I don't I obviously I wasn't a true believer. I'd be like, just, you know, if you could get my mom better, then I'll be obedient. Typical things that I guess a, a kid brought up in a Christian home would maybe think about God or, or think how God works, right? So eventually my mom did pass, and I remember saying to God things like, you know, if you let my mom die, then I'm, I'm just going to do whatever I want, stuff like that, which is really ridiculous when you think about it, right? I'm a sinner threatening God in a sense, which is... When you think about that and the weight of that, it, it just crushes me, right? So my mom died, um, just continued to go down a, a downward spiral of, of debauchery and sin. I mean, uh, you know, high school, I was kind of like under the radar. I barely got through high school. I wasn't like really good at school at all. And I did graduate, which was, I remember something my mom saying, you know, she wanted to see me do. And she did get to see me graduate, and she died shortly after that, a couple of years after that. So, anyhow, so like after high school, I really shined with my sin really well. I mean, I was like probably making up for for even the past years and trying to get more more and more down the downward spiral of sin. I mean, I was smoking weed every day, uh, drinking a lot. I was just going from one high to the next, right, trying to have a good time as best as I knew how. Um, And just continued that, right? I, could, I was able to hold down a job. I was like a functioning pothead uh, drunkard in a sense, right? So at some point, then I met my wife, um, Lisa, like at a nightclub actually. And uh, we ended up uh, hitting it off and, and we were together. We, we got married shortly after meeting actually. What would you say, like three months we got engaged? Yeah. We got married then like six months uh, later. I had like a, a sense of like trying to do the right thing, but it was just like my own version of God and my own version of morality. Um, so what happened is after we got married, like Lisa said, uh, she started to read her Bible. And my dad is actually a believer. She started asking my dad a lot of questions. Um, we then decided to go to church, uh, which was in the Queens at the time. And we had a pastor, and it was like a small church, maybe 15 people or so. And we were just very fortunate to get discipled there and to learn the Bible. Um, I'd say shortly after Lisa got saved, I eventually got saved too under the preaching of the Word of God. The theology at the time I wouldn't agree with now, but by God's grace they preached the gospel, and they they went through the Bible all the time. Uh, so 
under the preaching of the word and under the the uh, the the weight of of the word of God, uh, I repented and I believed the gospel. I can't exactly pinpoint a day on when that happened, um, but I just knew that I was different. Um, all of a sudden, God changed me. I mean, the things that I loved, I now hated. Kind of like my wife was saying, you know, she, the putting on, the putting off, and putting on. So. The, the testimony I had of believing when I was a child was obviously a false testimony. I even, like Lisa said, I shared somewhat of a gospel with her while we were in sin. I actually turned to her at night and I said, like, I want you to be with me in heaven. She, she said that. And then I said, well, you know, you have to have faith in Christ, right? So I, I had like a mental ascent of the gospel. But it wasn't until really being under the preaching of the word understanding the word and hearing the gospel taught properly, that then I finally was brought to repentance and faith in Christ by his grace, right? And I was just thinking when we when we would sing that song, like, once your enemy, right, now seated at your table. And just when I think about the fact of of the offense of God that I that I was, that I was had like a like a mental understanding of the gospel, but then just living a life that denied the gospel, right? I was a slave to my sin. I was, uh, uh, sin had dominion over my life, and it was clear. I was not a Christian. And then after I got saved, I was now a slave of righteousness, right? And I had a newness of life, thanks to Christ. And uh, really, since then, that was like about, what, 14 years ago? Yeah, so for the last uh, 14 years, by God's grace, we've been growing in in the knowledge of Christ and and uh, sanctification and uh, just learning more. And uh, we're just happy to be here with you guys and uh, growing in grace and, and truth and looking forward to what the Lord does next. And thank you, guys. Right. Hi. Ray McGann here. Nice to see familiar and unfamiliar faces here. All right. Um, my testimony starts when I was very young. Grew up in Jamaica, Queens. I start there because this is where I, I and when I began to see and learn about many different relationships, um, family relationships, friendships, relationships between strangers, and any way you want to divide those up, really. Unfortunately, what I witnessed was mostly negative. All across the board, I saw arguments, fights, and while most of them were small, some were also major ones, uh, one of the more significant ones being when I was about nine, I had to stand between two individuals while trying to prevent one of them from shooting the other. Um, the sum of all these experiences caused me to believe that love was conditional, um, something a person received when they did all the right things or were valuable or worthy enough to receive it. Um, so when I looked at myself, I thought, whoa, um, <laughs> there's nothing inherently valuable about me, and I definitely don't think I get everything right. So I'm kind of in this hole on the lovability scale there. Um, my solution was to strive to um, become as valuable as I could, in a sense. Um, so as I tried to uh, add some sort of value to my name, 
I, I knew that I, I didn't really like school or books at the time, any of that nerd stuff. Um, so I had a pretty active imagination, which helped me to do fairly well in more creative pursuits like art, sports, uh, and what I would call social entertainment. Um, my problem was that whenever I didn't have guidance on how to focus on the positive things, I ended up being creative in a lot of the wrong ways. So I often got into a lot of trouble there. Um, shortly after... September 11th, my family moved down to Florida, and my behavior continued, continued in much the same way. Thankfully, my parents were there to give me a, a good, loving backhand whenever I needed it. Um, after living in Florida, though, for about a year, a close friend of mine pulled me aside and said, you know, I'm worried about you and the direction you're going in. So I sought some spiritual guidance for you, and I want you to listen to it. Um, now, this friend was not a Christian, um, and her spiritual guide in that moment was a psychic. Um, that was as weird for me to hear as it is for you right now, <laughs> so I'm right there with you. Um, so I want to qualify and to make clear that um, according to the Bible, this is purely evil. Um, the Bible speaks clearly against witchcraft, psychics, and the like, so I do not condone that. This is just a ridiculous thing that I went through before I was saved, and I'm just sharing to show how God and his sovereignty uses all things to accomplish his goodwill. So... As she um, continued, she put down a, a recorder in front of me with this lady telling me about me and my future. Never met this lady. And when she was done, I laughed so hard. Um, and I told my friend, look, I agree with whoever she was talking about. That person's a jerk. She just described a jerk. Do I look like a jerk to you? You know, um, and I moved on. So I continued in my own ways um, throughout high school. And when I went on to college, I stopped spending as much time on things like sports. And I began to find my value now um, in, uh, in my identity in education and doing well in school. While I was there in about my second year, I met a girl named Nicole. And she was like my signpost to Jesus Christ. Everything she said and did um, pointed to Jesus. And she eventually shared the gospel with me. Around that time, I began to start hearing my conscience more and more, but I would say, settle down, conscience. Everything is under control. Everyone's having fun here, and if it's wrong, God knows my heart, and that my intentions are good, so let's not be a killjoy. No one likes a killjoy, all right? Um, from that time on, as the conscience would turn itself up, I would hit the mute button as fast as I could, um, and I continued to do um, that and go on my way until I did a series of foolish things, um, which caused me to lose everything that I had basically been putting my identity in. I lost the material things, um, my car, my apartment. I was no longer in school, um, wasn't playing sports anymore, and my friends changed, etc. cetera. Um, so I had to move back home. That was a humbling experience for me. Um, while I was there and with no more distractions with which to mute my conscience, I had lots of time to reflect. As I was reflecting, interesting, interestingly enough, um, the events and the attitudes which that crazy lady on the recording had talked about before had actually come true pretty accurately. That's neither here or there. Like I said before, that was an evil thing to take part in, and I won't ever do anything like it again. But the experience did confront me with sin in a way that I never had really been confronted before. What I mean is that while I listened to the recording in the past when I was about 16 years old, it gave me an opportunity to imagine myself in the future in relation to a certain moral, uh, moral standard. 
back then when I was looking at, um, looking or imagining myself in the future with these attitudes, I thought, nope, that I, I wouldn't be that bad. That that's not me, you know. That's a jerk. It's not really me. Um, but now, having coming, having come through all of that, um, and most of those things actually being true, all of them really, um, I looked at the same morality standard, and my response was more like, "Well, you know, you kind of had to be there to understand what was going on." Um, so I saw that with the same events. Um, looking at it at two different times, my standard changed. And obviously, I realized that my moral standard shouldn't be getting worse as I mature as a person. So it caused me to look at God's standard instead of my own. And when I did that, my heart fell right into my stomach. Uh, the burden was overwhelming. As I actually realized that if God was really everything that the Bible says he is, then I totally deserved to go to hell based on his standard, and I began to know that that was right. I walked around like that for weeks, feeling like someone underground had tied a, a chain tightly around my heart and was pulling it further towards them every single hour. I tried to fix it. Um, the ways I tried to fix it on my own, I tried to ignore it. I tried to justify it. I tried to compare myself to others. And then I tried to picture who would be in hell with me. But none of that helped. <laughs> then I thought maybe if I could just obey the commands um, in the Bible, then I'd be okay. But over and over again, I did what the Word said not to do. And I didn't do what it said to do. So for the first time, I actually became aware, aware that I wasn't free to choose right or wrong, as I had always believed, but that I was actually a slave to choosing my own sinful ways over God's. Um, at that time, I realized that I actually need a savior. When I hit that point, I was at the end of myself. And that's when I remembered what Nicole said, Jesus forgives sinners. So I went to the nearest church, and that day the sermon was about how sinful and dangerous it is to place your value and your identity in things other than Christ. So from that point on, I've been growing in his grace and my understanding of his gospel. Um, and I eventually repented of my sin and put my faith in Christ alone as the only one that could save me. For me, the most important thing was his love. Um, here, I was... I had a weird little experience where I listened to someone who claimed to see the future. Yet, here is God who knows all things, including the future, me, everything. And while I was looking for a way to somehow add value to myself, he, he already seen me as transparently as can be in all of my sin. And in spite of that, he devised a way to bring me into his love. That's my testimony, and this Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for my Savior, someone who loves me. All right. I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, my parents were both very solidly... Um, they... They taught the Bible solidly in the home, and um, I was a very good kid. I never did anything super bad, um, and I thought that I was saved through that. Um, then a series of trials happened in my life, um, 
which clearly demonstrated to me that I was not saved. Um, and it kind of freaked me out. It kind of didn't. Um, and I think that that's what really scared me. Um, I ended up going to a new school where my dad was the principal. Um, and it was a Christian school. And every single day I was taught the gospel. Um, and my heart just kept getting harder and harder and harder every single day. Um, and the mention of God was completely infuriating to me. Um, I got angry and I got super sad. Um, and one day I couldn't bear it anymore. And I sat down in front of the radio and basically told God that this was the last chance that he was going to have to save me. And um, if he didn't save me, I would completely cut him out of my life. Um, and it was it was the last opportunity that he had um, for me to listen. The song that came on was um, a song called Matter um, by King and Country. And the... The chorus says, To the one who spoke and set the sun ablaze, to the one who stopped the storm and walked the waves, to the one who took the cross so he can say, You matter. I hope you know you matter. This hit home with me um, because in those moments, I didn't feel like I was loved by anybody, not by my parents, not by friends, and I felt as though I was a mistake. But in this chorus, it showed me that I had somebody who loved me, um, somebody who cared for me, somebody who took the extra mile and died on the cross for me, and I didn't deserve it at all. There was nothing that I did. There was nothing that I could say. There was no action that I could take to get that amount of love placed upon me. Um... And through those verses, I believe that God saved me um, and clearly showed to me that I have a savior, savior who loves me and who cares for me. Um, thank you. I'm here tonight by the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Although I grew up in a Christian home and attended church regularly, I was not saved until I was 13. I did all the typical Christian kid activities. Sunday school, vacation Bible school, weekend retreats, youth group, and I told all my friends that I was Christian because it was the cool thing to do. But I was not a follower of Christ. I did not know God or really understand the saving work of Christ dying on the cross. Even though I knew the Bible stories could tell the gospel in three minutes and could say grace before dinner, I was not relying on God, seeking to know and understand him more, and the truth of Christ had not changed my heart. Before I was saved, I was self-centered, living for myself, and I made an idol of who I thought I should try to be. I thought I could reach this idol version of myself in my own strength, and my only thoughts day and night were how I can perform better in school, do better on my sports teams, and ultimately try to be perfect. This caused me to never be satisfied with anything. My friends, family, grades, looks, everything. I soon became depressed and did not see how I could ever truly achieve what I wanted. 
I thought my capabilities were the end-all be-all of my life, and if I could not live up to what I thought I should be, then life was no longer worth a living. I placed a lot of pressure on myself to be perfect, and when I could not fit the idol of myself that I had imagined, I became suicidal. Besides the pressures I had created in my own head, there were typical life stressors. Friend drama in middle school. My mom was battling her own depression and was ill at the time. There was tension in the home and more that I can mention. With everything as it was, I was prepared to take my own life. I thought suicide was the only way to take control of my life, which I thought was spinning out of control. By God's grace, I did not follow out with my plan. Rather, he stopped me in my tracks, reminded me of his mercy, and showed me how I needed him to rule and reign in my life. I was confronted with my sinful living. Pride, idolization of self, selfishness was just the start of where I began to repent of my sin. I gave my life over to Christ, crying on my bedroom floor right after my 13th birthday, knowing that I had been misunderstanding my life and the plans God had for me. In that moment, God opened my eyes to the truth of Christ, that he is real, he gave his life for me on the cross, and that only belief in his life, death, and resurrection could save me. I came to face the reality that all my efforts to be perfect were in vain, and I could never bring me closer to God or grant me entry into heaven. My priorities have changed since Christ has been Lord of my life. I seek Christ, his kingdom, fellowship with his people, and his will for my life first and foremost. I no longer use, uh, no longer base my identity on my grades or my actions, but in Christ. My entire friend group changed after Christ came into my life and has been changing to help form me as I grow in Christ. I have found dependency in Christ since I have been saved instead of depending on my own efforts. This does not mean that my life has become sunshine and rainbows. Christ promises trials in life, and in James 1, uh, verses 2 and 3, it says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What this means is when I face a struggle in my life, rather than relying on my own strength and effort to go through it, I joyously look to Christ as my source of strength, model for proper living, and seek to know him more fully in order to live more like him. A verse that I have been praying and meditating recently has been John 3.30, when John the Baptist makes his comment, this comment about Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. Each day the Holy Spirit has been sanctifying me, convicting me of my sins so that Christ may be more of who I am than the day before. And when I look back on my life thus far, I now see how God's hand was in my life from the very beginning. Even when I refused to acknowledge him, he was there. I'm grateful for his daily mercies and for his steadfastness when I wander from his throne of grace. And I'm thankful for him saving me that night, just not in this life, but for eternity. I pray that the... I pray that Christ's story in my life shows you more of who he is than who I am. For it is he who bought me with his blood, who called me, who satisfies me, and who brought me to this church to fellowship with his saints. Thank you. <laughs>